All right, uh, back in the Young Turks. Uh, in the last half hour of the show, we're going to do a post game for the members where we're going to talk about how Buttigieg has praised Bernie Sanders. Fascinating. That's actually a great story. And Trump's Thanos video. So if you want to watch all that, tyt.com slash join to become a member. But now we have interviews for you guys. Joining me now is Hassan El Taib. He's the legislative representative for Middle East policy at FCNL. And boy, there's a lot to talk about today, Hassan, especially in regards to the defense authorization. So welcome to the Young Turks and and jump right in if you will. What happened with the Democrats authorizing Trump's Pentagon budget? Thank you so much for having me on, I'm a huge fan of the show. So the National Defense Authorization Act conference report just wrapped up on Monday. And you know they've been in negotiations for several months at this point. And we were trying to figure out, you know, what provisions would stay in the bill. There were a lot of progressive priorities in the House version of the bill, not so much on the Senate side. Now, unfortunately, this bill, you know, the top line number was about $738 billion. So we were expecting and hoping that there would be some real checks on Trump's authority and the Pentagon to, you know, declare war. And unfortunately, Congress really failed to reassert any of its war authority. And they lost so many of these really important provisions to end US support for the Saudi UAE war in Yemen, to prevent Trump from launching an unauthorized war on Iran to repeal the 2002 Iraq AUMF, which we haven't used in about eight years or so. So uh, the list goes on and on, but unfortunately, this bill just falls very short. And you know, FCNL is doing along with our you know other peace activist friends and allies. We're trying to get a big no vote tomorrow on the bill. So um, this, every expert seems to agree, this is a Total cave-in, almost 100%. There's a provision here unrelated to the military completely about family leave, which I'm happy to have, but has nothing to do with this bill. So, but I, you're the expert, so that's that's why I want to ask you: Is that analysis correct? That the on on the issue of foreign policy and defense and the Pentagon, the Democrats get a single concession. So I, I, you mentioned paid family leave. While that is, you know, we can definitely applaud that, but that is a domestic policy priority that could have been taken um, taken up in so many other vehicles, uh, you know, on the appropriation side. So, you know, but we're talking about the defense policy bill, the Pentagon bill, and you know. Congress really missed an opportunity to reassert itself over war and peace issues. And again, you know, like ending US support for the Saudi UAE war in Yemen, like uh, I've been on your show several times actually talking about this and we've made so much progress. Uh, You know, Democrats came out in droves and voters came out in droves to, you know, give Democrats a House majority, you know, for the sole purpose of putting a check on the Trump administration and trying to rein in, you know, some of the things that we haven't 
really like that we've been seeing. And this NDAA was one of the biggest tests so far. And, you know, I totally agree it falls way short. I mean, there were things in there that we can point to um, that, you know, that I that I would say are, you know, steps in the right direction. And overall, that's probably what Hask would tell you, the House Armed Services Committee. And, you know, Please. there are there's some truth to that. But overall, I think, you know, to me, it just seems like a capitulation. Yeah. So uh, did they knock down even a penny from uh, Trump's uh, budget request overall for the Pentagon? Um, well, so the the there they didn't come at the same number. The de, the Republicans wanted seven hundred and fifty billion dollars. Democrats wanted seven hundred and thirty eight billion. Again, that's exactly what the Pentagon asked for, and I think they settled on seven hundred and forty one billion. But oh, there was a, what a bunch oh, of losers. Okay, yeah. sorry, that's my opinion. So the Pentagon said, I just want to get the facts straight though. The Pentagon said seven hundred and thirty eight billion. And the Democrats compromised to 741 billion, a higher number. Uh, that that's correct. So they did increase the top line number. That, you know, um, I mean, there was a lot of stuff like that in this bill. There was, you know, funding the F-35 project. There was actually more F-35s than the Pentagon even wanted in this bill. So there's a lot of that to go around, and unfortunately, that's what. That's what we're dealing with. That's why we really need everyone to come out. I mean, if Democrats and Republicans actually really care about reigning in the Pentagon and and reasserting constitutional war authority, I mean, they can come together and topple this bill tomorrow. And I would urge all of your uh, viewers out there to pick up the phone. FCNL established a hotline, a one eight three three stop war, and they can that'll connect you to your member and and give you what to say on on the National Defense Authorization Act and urging your member to vote no. And I think that's really critical that we come together. And you know, I think that we can topple this bill, but even getting a really solid vote just sends a message that you know that the American people don't want endless wars anymore. So look, I love what you guys are doing. I don't want to discourage you. In fact, I want to encourage it. So it's important that everybody call that number because even if your representative doesn't vote the way that you want them to, at least let them know they're supposed to represent you. And let them know we didn't send you there to help Donald Trump. We sent you there to fight Donald Trump. So please stop giving him more than he even asked for. Uh, it's just unreal, unreal. Look, as a political analyst, I'm gonna keep it real with you. The chance of uh, enough Democrats voting no is nearly non-existent. Um, they, they always bow their heads to Nancy Pelosi and whatever corporate leadership wants, corporate leadership gets. And this is corporate through and through. Uh, and so they're all gonna get money from uh, defense contractors, right? And so they're going to keep piling that money in. So let's let's talk about the elephant in the room. Uh, how you know it is? Do you think it's a factor for uh, for Republican uh, politicians? I'm not even having that conversation. It's the only factor. It's anyone who says otherwise is a liar. So I'm not interested in that conversation. So, but for Democratic politicians, how much of a factor do you think that they take money from defense contractors? Well, there's no question that money in politics plays a huge role in the decision 
that are being made by our members of Congress right now. And yeah, of course, uh, and it's it goes beyond just you know direct contributions. I mean, the military industrial complex and the weapons contractors, they've strategically put themselves in each of these districts. So you know it's essentially a big jobs program, but unfortunately, the jobs are to keep perpetuating war. So I think there's another way. I think that we can invest in the American people. I think we can invest in our infrastructure and that there are other ways to create jobs. But right now, as it exists, uh, you know, we're in, you know, a lot of trouble because, you know, this bloated Pentagon budget just continues to, you know, get bigger and bigger and more wars as a result. Okay, uh, so how many lives are in danger in Yemen? Uh, because uh, we've decided that we're going to do whatever Saudi Arabia tells us to do. So the war in Yemen is devastating. Um, now, I've been on the Young Turks, I think, <laughs> starting back since the beginning of the Yemen War Powers Resolution. And, you know, there have been about 14 million people on the brink of famine, you know, in the in the past several years. We've got uh, a million cases of cholera, 10,000 new cases each week. I mean, the UN says Yemen's the worst place in the world to be a child. About every 10 minutes, a child dies in Yemen from hunger and famine. So, I mean, the numbers are devastating. Now, with all the congressional pressure that we've seen, we've actually seen major breakthroughs and major progress in the peace talks between Saudi Arabia and the Houthis. And that's that's something that Congress should be proud of, actually, it, you know, by reasserting its war authority, by passing for the first time the Yemen War Powers Resolution in April. Um, you know, we saw the UAE, they look at that vote and they said, oh, we better draw down our presence in Yemen. That caused Sudan to draw down their presence in Yemen as well. And then Trump is, you know, wanting to continue that. But the you know MBS and the leaders of the UAE and Saudi Arabia. I mean, they see the writing on the wall that there are bipartisan, bicameral majorities that want to end the war. And uh, you know, they saw the House pass provisions in, in the NDAA, and they were worried as well. So now, in I should mention that in January. The Saudi Arabian government and the Houthis are going to meet in Kuwait to try to bang out a peace deal. And, you know, this could be a really good sign that we are heading towards a more peaceful, prosperous time in Yemen where there is a ceasefire and end to the blockade. But I'm so worried that they may look at this vote, this NDAA that does really nothing meaningful to check the uh, the war in Yemen to end our logistical support, the um, end our weapon sales, and they may say, well, maybe let's make a recalculation. Maybe it's not as pressing as we once thought to end the war. Yeah, if if we uh, withdrew uh, support from that war, they'd have peace far quicker. Almost no question about that. As usual, uh, Bernie Sanders and Ro Khanna are fighting uh, against this uh, authorization. Uh, and against this bill and urging a no vote uh, for all the reasons that you laid out. Last question, real quick, uh, the war authorization, they're also not taking away. Uh, do you think that it's possible that they're uh, doing that so they could preserve the right to unilaterally attack Iran? Uh, the 2002 Iraq AUMF repeal, absolutely. The Trump administration has basically said that they 
would like to use this in case they want to have an authorization to go after Iran. And that, I mean, that's just ridiculous. If if Trump wants to go to war with Iran, you know, Article One, Section Eight is absolutely clear. He needs to come to Congress and get an authorization. Obviously, as a peace group, we would recommend against that. But at the very least, we need to reassert the war authority uh, that's been given through the Constitution. And you know, the 2002 Iraq AUMF is completely outdated and it needs to be repealed. All right, Hassan Al-Tayyib, thank you for joining us, we really appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much. No problem. All right, quick break, we'll be right back with another great guest. Welcome to the conversation, joining us now is congressional candidate for New Jersey's 5th District, Artie Krybik. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So you are primarying a Democratic representative in that district. So Gothamer is his name, Josh Gothamer to be specific. And I wanted to ask you, what is it about his representation in Congress that you disagree with and how would you be different? Uh, how much time do you have? <laughs> well, there's quite a bit. Just just to note, he's part of the Problem Solvers Caucus, which is code for I'm gonna go ahead and help Donald Trump. And he's exactly. one of the more conservative Democrats. But Absolutely. yeah, but I wanted you to you know share some of the details on that and be a little more specific. No, absolutely. Look, in 2016, I was really happy as a constituent in NJ5 because we had a glimmer of hope when we flipped the fifth and Josh was elected. Um, I was a supporter, I helped him get elected. And um, I thought he was really going to be helping us fight against what was happening at the national level. And turns out it, that has been farther from the truth, right? He's one of the most conservative Democrats. He, um, he can't even say Trump's name or call him out for any of the things that he has done. He's never done that so far. He is one of the handful of Democrats who voted for the border wall funding from his very first vote where he voted to roll back Obama regulations that protect our health and safety and the environment. I knew that there was something of an issue with him, but he's gone back from there to um, voting for the border wall funding, to wanting to gut and voting to roll back Dodd-Frank regulations, which really considering that we in New Jersey haven't even fully recovered from the financial crisis, um, this is egregious, right? So, um, so I actually want uh, to, to focus a little more on the border wall funding because uh, to be quite honest with you, that particular weakness uh, by congressional Democrats got under my skin like you wouldn't believe because at that moment, there was a huge debate happening in the country about what Trump was doing at the border with these uh, detention facilities. So children are in cages and you have Nancy Pelosi fighting tooth and nail uh, to get congressional Democrats to vote in favor of $4.6 billion in funding for Trump's border wall. Now, now, did that funding come with any type of safeguards for the migrant children being held in those cages? No, and that was the most egregious thing, right? So we had in June of 2019, we had just seen all the news reports that talked about not only that we were separating families, that we have kids in cages, but also that we weren't giving them toothbrushes or 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 blankets. So we had all of these. Um, news reports that came out about 
the horrible conditions that we were keeping these kids in. And then a couple of weeks later, this um, this particular bill comes up. And not only does he, uh, what he did was he whipped up votes to make sure that there were no guardrails and that there was no accountability that was baked into the bill that Nancy Pelosi brought forward in the House. So he worked against and he undermined our interests at that point. To me, you can, this is one of the one of the worst examples of political expediency that I've seen. And in terms of being, in terms of really looking at this from a humanitarian crisis and looking at what we owe to those kids, we owe a lot more than what was happening there. And when he did that, he made me as a constituent of NJ5 morally complicit in that decision making. And I don't know anybody who wants to be morally complicit in the methods that he showed there. Now, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi fights very aggressively against progressive lawmakers. When it came to the debate about that border wall funding, she was ready and willing to throw people like Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez under a bus during an interview with the New York Times. And so, you know, you really do have to fight her, even though she's in your party. And and how would you plan on doing that if you were elected into Congress? So for me, look, she's a strong woman and I appreciate that and I understand that. But really for us, what we need to do is we need to stand up for things that are morally right and fair. We need to come out and talk about what we need to do to make sure that the what we are doing is equitable, what we're doing is fair, what we're doing is not transactional, mm-hmm. right? At the end of the day, politics and governing is not I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. It's what we're doing for the greater good. So for me, those are the things that I'm gonna be standing on, regardless of who says what. So let's talk a little bit about money and politics. So you discussed how Gothamer is very much in favor of repealing or at least weakening Dodd-Frank, which was, in my opinion, a relatively weak regulation in response to the 2008 financial crisis. Look, money and politics plays a huge role in politicians deciding to attack that regulation. Are you in any way influenced by money and politics? Are you taking big donors? No. I'm not taking any money from corporate PACs. I'm not taking money from fossil fuel companies. I believe that we have an outsized influence of corporate money in government today. And that's exactly why the policies and the kinds of things that we really need to happen are not happening, right? And I think that what we need to do is reduce that influence and if possible, eliminate it. So one of the things that I actually think we need to do is really talk about the amendment to end Citizens United. I think when Citizens United came on board, it was one of the worst things that could have happened to our political system. Um, my opponent, Josh uh, Gottheimer, he's number two, um, I think behind Kevin McCarthy for the amount of money he gets from the Wall, Wall, Wall Street real estate finance sector. Um, less than 1% of his donations are, are from um, small dollar donations, $200 or less. Um, and that's really not what this is about. Um, he is called the human fundraising machine. Um, and clearly when you have a nickname like that, you are not beholden to your constituents, you're beholden to the corporate donors. Um, and I wanna be beholden to my constituents and to the people. So I like to say that his 
campaign is about power and money. And my campaign is about people and the planet. So let's talk a little more about Gothamer's style and tone because I think that's relevant to this campaign as well. So Gothamer allegedly beat the hell out of a car when a reporter for a community paper refused to hand over his notes on a town hall to Gothamer's staff. Can you talk about that a little bit? So I wasn't there. Um, so uh, all I've seen and heard about this is from the news reports that you've seen. Look, I think what we need are people who, again, are going to be fighting for the right thing and not fighting our constituents, who are going to be um, standing up for what's right and not doing like what he did today, where there are reports that talk about how instead of actually um, standing up for the articles of impeachment as we need to that came out today. Um, he was floating the option of censure um, <laughs> in the House as if that's going to do anything, as if some everybody in their right mind uh, understands that Trump is not going to be swayed by censure at all. And clearly that the articles of impeachment are needed and necessary uh, to stand against the kinds of corruption that's happening. Um, so really what we need to do is we need to make sure that we have representatives that are passionate about fighting on behalf of the constituents and upholding the constitution and upholding our democracy. There's so many political issues to be concerned about. I mean, our healthcare system is broken. Immigration is something that has been neglected and we need real comprehensive immigration reform. Our environment is really in peril right now. Which issue are you hyper focused on? I know that you can't be hyper focused on every single one. So out of all the political issues right now, what really speaks to your heart? What do you want to tackle first? Yeah, absolutely. So there are two things. One is climate change, right? So we had the IPCC report that came out last year that told us we had less than a decade to course correct. And we know I'm a scientist, I'm trained as a scientist. And looking at these reports and looking at all the reports that have come since, it's clear that those estimates are conservative. I live in New Jersey. New Jersey is one of the most vulnerable states to climate change. We are the third fastest warming state in the United States. Clearly, we need to do something about this as soon as possible. We need to course correct as soon as possible before it's too late for us. What we need is we need a Green New Deal that is going to have clean renewable energy that is going to cut our fossil fuel consumption substantially that we're that is also going to give us a boost to our economy and good new jobs we need all of that to come forward, right? So as a council member in Glenrock in the last two years, we have done substantial improvements. So the default in our town for our residents now is up to 100% renewable energy and residents can opt out if they want. We have banned plastic bags. We have EV charging stations that have been fully functional for two years. So what that has taught me in the last couple of years is that when you have the right elected leaders who are actually going to be fighting for the right things, you can make a significant positive impact in a short amount of time. 
So imagine if we can do that in Glenrock in a small town, the scale at which we can do that in a congressional district and on the national level. But clearly we're not gonna be able to do it in a piecemeal fashion, right? So what I'm passionate about, what I think we really need to come together on is climate change. And I think that's something that everybody, whether you're a Democrat, unaffiliated Republican across the board can come together on. And that's one of the first things that I'll be fighting for. All right. Artie Krybik, please check out her website, artieforcongress.com slash volunteer if you're interested in volunteering or artieforcongress.com to learn more about her campaign and to donate. Thank you so much for taking the time to have the conversation with us. Thank you very much, I appreciate it. All right, thank you for watching the conversation. The post game is next.